You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds, but first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. We are going to be wrapping up a series entitled Not Today, Satan. Man, I've loved what we've been learning. I love what God's been showing us. He's been sharing with us on how to deal with the pressure that you and I face in our everyday lives because all of us are under pressure. We all have some form of pressure, don't we? Some of us in this room, we have deep financial pressure. Some of us, we have the pressure that our parents put on us. We have the pressure of our uh, coworkers, our boss. We got the pressure around us. There's so much pressure that you and I are confronted with, and it's it's tough at times. We got to step back and say, okay, well, how do I handle this? You know, the biggest thing for me is that I want to know how I can still perform well even being under the intense pressure. I still want to perform well. I don't want to cave into the pressure. I don't want the pressure to take me out. I don't want to be that person that everybody's like, oh, no, uh, there's some pressure in their life. Everybody stay clear. Everybody uh, give them a wide berth. You know, you kind of see that coworker coming, and you kind of know, oh, they've had a rough week. Let's, let's kind of give them some distance. You know, that's not somebody we want to be around. You know, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to turn into that person where the pressure comes into life and it seems to uh, derail their vision. It derail what God has called them to. And so we've been looking at how do we deal with pressure? How do we perform under the pressure? How do we handle the pressure? Especially here in the Silicon Valley, it seems like pressure abounds. Everywhere you go, you've got pressure. And it's amazing because it seems like those pressure-filled moments is when Satan takes his greatest opportunities to put us out to take us out, to get us discouraged, to get us defeated. It's at those moments that he picks when he knows that, man, you are trying to deal with the children, you're trying to deal with the spouse, you're trying to deal with the bills, you're trying to deal with the traffic, you're trying to deal with the rising cost of just living in the Bay Area. And all of a sudden, it's at those moments that somebody calls you and says, hey, look at my brand new Tesla X. And you're like, I'm about to dent your Tesla X, okay? I'm not happy that you got a new car. I can barely afford my Ford Pinto over here as it explodes in the distance behind them you know it's one of those and so we're looking in this series at how do we handle pressure and we started off in week number one that we said you know what when it comes to pressure you and I we can look at pressure in many different ways there's all different types of pressures that you and I face but what happens with the pressures in our life is that you and I will take the first pressure if you are married dating or engaged You've got this relationship pressure. I'm going to use marriage, but you can fill in whatever you're in. And you've got this pressure. And all of a sudden, what can happen with this pressure is that you feel boxed in. You can feel trapped by the pressure. And you're, you're here in the center, and you're like, I can kind of manage this pressure. But, you know, as soon as you get into a marriage relationship, that's not the only pressure that you have, is it? Before too long, usually it takes about nine months, and then you get some other little blessings. They call them children, all right? I like to call them demons at times, but children work too. 
And then you've got the pressure of marriage, relationship, but then you add children. And what's happening to your life? All of a sudden, you feel like I'm getting surrounded by the pressure. But you all know that marriage can be expensive. Children can be even more expensive. So now what do you got? You've got more financial pressure. And so you've got this growing financial pressure that there is no pressure like financial pressure. When you are under that, you just feel like, I don't know if there's an escape from this. When you're under that financial weight and you've got the debt, the debt collectors are, are piling up. I once borrowed a book. I lived in Boron, California, and I've talked about it. And I borrowed a book from the library that I never returned. Never returned. He said, you thief, you stole it. It's a book from the Boron Library. I figure I paid for it with my taxes. I just, I actually forgot about it. It was in like the trunk of my car and I just lost it. Well, you know, about eight years later, I got sent to collections for that book. And all of a sudden, my wife was so mad. She was like, how did you get sent to collections from the Boron Library? I was like, don't mess with those Boron librarians. They will track you down. You don't need to hire a private investigator. Just get a librarian from Boron. So all of a sudden, you got this financial pressure, but that's not the only pressure that you deal with, is it? You've got, and this is just the basic. This is like the easy ones. This is the ones that we all deal with. You've got your job. You've got the pressure from your job. Now, some of you say, well, I work part-time, I work full-time, or I'm a stay-at-home dad, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't care what it is. You've got this job pressure, and it seems like you, you can never get it done. What's happening? Your life is shrinking, isn't it? And on top of that, you've got this pressure that you want to be a good Christian. So you're trying to hold it together and be a good Christian, and you've got that pressure that's like, oh, I want to be in the Word. I want to be in prayer. I want to be at the Bible study. I want to be on the ministry team. I want to help out. And you've got all these desires, but what's happening is you feel like your life is getting smaller and smaller. But then you notice when you've got marriage, you've got children, you've got finances, you've got job, you've got the Christian pressures. You know what else happens that you've got pressure with? Your own health. All of a sudden, all those start affecting your health, what is happening, what pressure does is pressure creates a prison. That's what it creates. Where you just feel like I'm trapped. And when you feel like you're in a prison, you know what you want to do? You want to escape. And a lot of people do. This is why you'll see people that they will end their marriage. You, this is why you will see people, they will leave their children. This is why you will see people that when it comes to uh, finances, they will, they will escape from it. They will leave. They will do whatever they can to escape the pressure. And society makes it easy to escape the pressure. They want to give you a way out. And so they will quit jobs. They will quit on God. They won't take care of their health. Why? Because they think they're escaping this pressure. But we learned the very first week that that's not how pressure works. Pressure is not something to be escaped, is it? You don't have to escape pressure. You have to see pressure. And God gives us the gift of perspective. You say, what do you mean the gift of perspective? And I'm just going to keep talking because I think it's important that we go back over this. Because when it comes to pressure, you and I need to understand how God is actually using pressure. And some of you, you missed week one. Some of you may have been here or you need a refresher and you need to come back to this. Because when it comes to pressure, how you understand and the gift of perspective is so valuable for us that we cannot ignore it. We cannot give up on this gift that God is creating with this gift of perspective, that God wants you to see what things actually are. So having that view of it, having that view that God has for us where we understand, okay, this is what God is actually doing with all this 
pressure. You see, when it comes to pressure, it is not a prison. Your pressure is actually something so much more valuable. And until you see your pressure as valuable, you'll never understand that God is actually building a platform with the pressure. He's building on it, okay? God is not wasting anything that you're going through. Whatever the trial, the circumstances the difficulty that you are going through, God is using it. God is going to use it. Why? Because it's a platform that you're building. You are stacking these things. You see, pressure allows us to go to another level. So God is saying, okay, pressure. Now, here's what I want to, I want to capture this morning is how do we handle, how do we perform? How do we handle when we're under pressure? You see, I want to be the type of Christ follower. I want to be the type of person that when it comes to pressure, that I do better under pressure. Don't you want to be like that? I mean, we see it in uh, when we watch the sports teams play. You see the pressure. Now, the Warriors choked under pressure, okay? That was a nail-biter. That, that hurt, okay? That was tough. I was like, come on, Stefan, make that three, drain that three. You missed that three. You never should have taken that three. Who gave you the ball? You know what I mean? That intense pressure because you know he walked out of the stadium thinking, if I just would have made that three, it would have changed the entire game. Or if what's-his-name wouldn't have gotten hurt, you know, there's, there's that pressure. But some of you, you perform well under it. Yesterday, I got to be a part of a wedding for a dear family. And uh, I was hanging out with the groomsmen. And, man, they were all nervous. And I was hanging out with the groom, and I understood why he was nervous. But then I didn't understand why the groomsmen were nervous. I was like, why are you nervous? You just got to stand there in your nice little tuxedo and look good. Like, how hard is that? They're like, I don't, I don't know. You know, they're wringing their hands. And they're like, man, somebody called me down. I was like... I went over and saw the bride and the bridesmaid. They didn't do none of this. This is hilarious. I should film this, you know. This is like a bunch of uh, uh, just, just immature people, and they were just so stressed out. And then they looked at me. They were like, are you nervous? I mean, you're going to be doing this ceremony. Are you nervous? Like 100 and something people out there, are you, are you nervous? I said, here's the trick. I've been speaking publicly since about 2004, 2005. And I said, the thing is, every time I stand up before an audience, it doesn't matter the size. And I've stood up in front of an audience where two people were there, okay? And it wasn't my mom and my dad, okay? I, I just I've stood up, and I know you were thinking it. You were like, eh, this is mom and his dad. It's the only people who showed up. No, no, no. And I've stood up in front of audiences that were small. But guess what happens? It doesn't matter if the audience is 4,500 at San Jose Stadium or if it's two. I get the same nerves. It's the same pressure. But here's what happens. I love the pressure. Because I perform better under the pressure. It's learning how to not cope with the pressure, but to convert that into energy. So I take that nervous energy, and it clears my mind. It helps everything to come into focus. And so this morning, I want us to look at in this last week, how do we perform under pressure? How is it when pressure comes in that all of a sudden we can look at it and we say, you know what? I can do really well. I actually do better when there's pressure. So then we could say, God, yes, I don't enjoy it, but I'm going to do better under this. There's a lot of pressure, but I can still be a good husband. There's a lot of pressure, but I can still follow Jesus with passion. There's a lot of pressure, but you know what? I will still pay my bills. I will still work that job. You know, there's a lot of pressure with the children right now, but I will not abandon my children. There's a lot of pressure right now to go and just uh, blow up this job and, and tell my boss what I really think of him, what everybody else thinks of him. But you know, I want to I wanna do better under pressure. So when pressure comes into my life, I do better. And so I want to look at a passage of scripture that's very familiar. If you grew up in the church, this is like your first Bible story. 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you have a copy of God's word. If not, you can turn on your uh, Bible app and you can look at it there. But let's study just a few verses together. Because we're going to look at the secret to how do we perform better 
under pressure. How do we take pressure and we say, you know what, I'm going to stack this because it's God using for my platform. And I feel like as we end this series, let's go to 1 Samuel, but let's pick it up. I'll give you a little bit of backdrop. This is David and Goliath. I mean, if you didn't even go to church, you've heard of it's a, it's a Goliath story where, where David and Goliath, you know, David's going to face off against Goliath. So David is just a young boy, they say, between ages of 14 and 17, and he's a shepherd. And the shepherd's supposed to deliver some bread and cheese to his brothers, okay? He's supposed to deliver some grilled cheese sandwiches to his brothers, okay? He's the bread boy. And he shows up, and as he shows up, he's looking, hey, where's the battle? There's no fighting going on. Because on the very first day where the Israelite army is supposed to be fighting the Philistines, a giant steps out. His name is Goliath. And Goliath starts taunting the armies of Israel. And the armies of Israel have never seen some but it quite so intimidating, quite so big. And instead of squaring off and fighting these guys, they hide. For 40 days, they would just hide in the rocks. That's all they would do. That's all they would do. And uh, David shows up. And David's like, what's going on? Nobody's fighting. Nothing's happening. And then David's oldest brother, Eliab, starts to uh, pick on David and say, hey, David, why are you here? What are you doing? And David's like, Hey, is there not a cause? I'm here to bring you some food. Dad sent me. And uh, then his older brother starts to pick on him. But David says, is nobody going to fight this Philistine? Is nobody going to go out? This guy is cursing our God. He's, he's blaspheming our nation. Is nobody going to go fight him? So somebody overhears this. And somebody tells Saul. Saul is the king. Saul is the leader of the nation of Israel. If anybody's supposed to fight Goliath, it is Saul. But Saul's not doing it. But Saul hears from a messenger that there's this boy, the shepherd boy by the name of David, that he's, he's small, but he's got a big top. And so Saul calls David. David comes in, and let's pick up the story right there. Verse number 31, the Bible says this. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. That's David. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight. With this Philistine. You know how ridiculous that verse is? That's like you saying, hey, pastor, my laptop and computer just died. But I know if you come over, you can fix it. No, I can't. I can't do nothing about your computer. I am the most uh, illiterate when it comes to actually handling anything with your computer, okay? I haven't done updates in years, okay? I hadn't done any updates on my iPhone, so it eventually blocked me out because the newest update, they were like, you haven't been doing your updates, so if we do this update, it's going to crash your phone, so that's what it did, and I needed a new phone, so do your updates, okay? And uh, so I just, when it comes to technology, I don't get it, okay? There's other things that I can do, but that's one of the things that I can't do. So here's David, a shepherd boy, not a warrior, saying, hey, King David, don't worry, I got this. Rolls up his sleeves, just saying, hey, I got this. And Saul's like, I appreciate the zeal, I appreciate the passion, but notice this, Saul says this. He says, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So he's saying, David, you're just a young boy. Goliath, ever since he was a boy, has been trained to be a warrior. What have you been trained to do? And David's like, I could play a mean heart. Man, I can get down in that heart. Man, I can shred on that heart. I got me a little amplifier on my heart. Man, I will make some music for you. And so I was like, that's great. If we already won the battle, that'd be good. You know, like a little post party. That would be awesome. What else can you do? And then he starts telling David or starts telling Saul, hey, I'm a shepherd. And I take care of sheep. 
Any of you ever interact with any sheep, anybody? Been around any sheep? It doesn't smell too good. It's not a lot of fun. My one interaction with sheep was in college in 2002. There was a huge field of sheep across from our dorm, and there was nothing to do, but one of my buddies, one of my roommates from Oregon, had a potato gun, and there was a bunch of sheep out there. Put two and two together, what we did. Yeah, it was all bad. And uh, so we were shooting potatoes at sheep. <laughs> Does it get any dumber? It really doesn't, okay? And uh, so this is my one interaction with sheep. But when it comes to sheep, David saying, hey, I'm a shepherd. And all of a sudden, David's spinning his resume, but it's not impressing Saul. Then finally, this is what's amazing. I love this part. David then tells Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out. And that's what I agree with. I went out. I'd be like, yeah, I'm gone. I quit. There's a lion and a bear. I'm done. I'm done. But that's not what David's saying. He's saying, I went out and I chased after it. And he says, I went after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from the mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard. Are you kidding me right now? David is saying, I grabbed this thing by the beard, okay? He's saying, I didn't mess around with the tail. You would think, okay, you've got it. And I'm imagining that this isn't uh, like an African lion. This is more of like a mountain lion type thing situation. And I'm like, you would think you would want to chase it by the tail or something. But no, David's like, I went after the head of this thing. I grabbed it and I snapped its neck. That's what David's saying. David's saying, hey, I'm ready because guess what? The pressure is not really pressure. It's practice. And what David David is telling Saul is I've been practicing for this moment. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that I was practicing on a lion, but guess what? It applies. You see, when you and I understand that pressure is really practice. You know, right now, I was thinking about our church, and I was like, man, we're back portable again. Oh, man, we're back to setting up. We're back to having, getting people and volunteers on setup crew and Ridge Kids and host team. We're back kind of, seems like we're starting all over. Man, it just seems like everything's starting resetting, and it's like you gain a little bit of ground. What do they say? One step forward, two steps back. And I was like, man, I feel like that. But then I began to think about the Warriors. What's Stephen Curry doing right now, aside from being a little bit depressed? You know what he's thinking about? i got to work on my threes. I need to go work on my threes. So he's like, I'm going to start shooting 1,000 threes a day. I'm going to start working on it. Because he knows, guess what? There's a new season. He knows something. Hey, there's a new team. There's going to be a new stadium. So I got to go back and I got to start all over. So sometimes pressure is going to make you feel like you're having to start all over again. Some of you are in a new relationship. You feel like, man, I'm back at square one. Well, guess what? It's a great opportunity where God says, hey, you've been practicing, so you are ready for this. You're ready for this pressure. Please write this down if you're taking notes. The problem is not the pressure we are under, but our willingness to practice. It's not the pressure you are under. It's our willingness to practice. You see, Saul is the king. He's the one that was supposed to go and fight Goliath. And you will see that this is a pivotal moment in the life of Saul, and he never took advantage of it. God wanted Saul to fight this battle, and he never fought that battle. So David stepped up, fought the battle, won the battle, and it changed the trajectory of David's life. But Saul had the opportunity. But what happens is you and I, when it comes to pressure, we are not practicing under it. You see, David's stepping up, and he's saying, hey, I've been practicing. What is practice? It's manufactured pressure. That's what practice is. 
You see, when, when a basketball player gets out there, they, they do drills, they run plays. What are they doing? They're simulating a real game experience. They're putting the pressure on. You see, right now, God is saying, hey, this is a simulation I'm going to put you in so you're ready for when I get you into the fight so that you don't fail, you don't crumble. So right now, this is preparation, but you've got to practice. What's one thing that we hate to do? We hate to practice. We hate to practice. Yeah, I started playing uh, several different instruments, okay? Started with the saxophone. That lasted two weeks. And then I moved to the trumpet. That lasted about three years. I still don't play the trumpet, and I don't play the saxophone. I then went on to guitar. I took that for a couple months. My wife made me quit that one, so at least I have an excuse on that one, just how bad I was. But what is it? It's all about practice. You know, I've noticed our culture loves recital, but we hate rehearsal. We love to show up and show off, but we hate the grind. We don't want to show up and do the work. We live in a culture that says, hey, how can I get notice without having to do any work? How can I just show up and people clap and applaud and think I'm something, but I never have to do the work? You see, David said to Saul, I've done the work. Nobody else saw me in the fields, but guess what? I wasn't just out there just doing nothing. That was time that was not wasted. You see, some of you right now, you feel like that you are not valuable to God because you are not visible to people. And God says your value is not based on your visibility. So you stay there in obscurity because I'm doing my greatest work with you right now. I'm doing something that nobody else can see. Right now, you're, I'm hiding you. Right now, I'm, I'm keeping you back because guess what? God doesn't want to show the world junk. God wants to show off quality. God wants to say, this is my man. This is my woman. I am now ready to usher you onto a greater stage of influence. I'm ready to give you a greater platform. And that's what God wants to do. And some of you are sitting here and saying, Pastor, I'm not going into full-time ministry, but maybe it's a greater platform in your job where God says, I want to give you that promotion. Hey, I want to give you that influence over your family, that neighborhood. I want to, I want to do that in your life. But guess what? Right now you're in obscurity, and you're not even handling that well. You're not handling this little role. You're not stewarding what you have already well because you're like, I want bigger and better. And God says, you're not ready for it. You're not ready for what I have for you. So take what I've got right now and just start practicing and get better at it and work at it and work at that marriage. And you say, you know what? I'm going to put a good 10, 15 years into this marriage, and then I'm going to write the marriage book. I don't need to act like a marriage expert yet. Guess what? I don't have enough time under my belt. I don't have enough experience yet. So David is telling Saul, guess what? I've been practicing. Yes, I am young, but I've been waiting for this moment. And he stood in that confidence that you and I can. You see, too often, we, when we look at these seasons of our life that it just kind of seems like, is anybody noticing? Does anybody care? Here's the mistake that we often do. You see, there is unrecognized riches in the uncelebrated seasons of our lives. There is unrecognized riches in the uncelebrated seasons of our lives. You see, some of the most formative years are those years where nobody's paying attention to you, where nobody notices where you just feel like, God, I am just suffering in silence. My family doesn't care. My neighbors don't care. Maybe my own spouse just feels like he's not eating or she's not noticing. It just feels like, God, I'm in a season where it just seems like I'm not being seen right now. And, God, I want to do so much more. I've got such big dreams and such big goals in my heart. And it just seems like I'm just out there. You see, David did not know as he was tending the sheep and a servant said, Hey, David, your dad wants you to take some bread and cheese to the battlefield that that was the day that that was the moment it was all about to change you see David had been anointed years prior to be the next king of Israel but then he had to go back to the sheep field 
And so David's just out tending sheep. He's just out herding the sheep, which is the lowest job in that time that you could have. But David just said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to practice with this because God's going to use this because now David understood how to care for sheep, so he understood how to care for a nation. See, God wants to use what's happening right now, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see, you think God only wants to use the good in your life, but I've discovered in my few years that God often takes the worst things in our life and says, that's where I'm going to do my best work. And those seasons where you say, God, I want out. God, I'm tired of this. God, I don't want to keep practicing. God, it is getting hard. And God's like, well, what did you expect? What did you expect? Isn't it funny that we expect life to not get harder? Isn't it funny that we are surprised that life is hard? Hey, what did, what did Jesus say? What did the Bible say in 2 Timothy? It says, hey, guess what? In the end times, you shall know that, guess what? You shall suffer persecution. But yet we as Christ followers, we kind of bought into this idea that when we have Jesus, we've got a good, little bit of good God luck that, guess what? Nothing bad happens. That it's always everything's up to the right and to the left. But guess what? There are those down moments that we should not be surprised by. When you watch football, any football fans in the house, clap if you love football. Come on, put your hands together if you love football. Football is good, isn't it? We got a few more months before football, but we just had the NFL draft. And so there's a lot of great things happening. We're getting ready. I believe at the Niners this season it's going to happen. Probably not, but I have faith. And uh, so when it comes to football, what happens? When the team catches the ball at the 20-yard line, the team's not, the defense isn't playing that tough. But the moment that ball gets down to the five-yard line, what happens? Special teams comes out. And there's a special kind of defense that comes out. There's a special kind of ugly guys that they come out. They're so mean looking. They're so strong. They're so stuffed. You see, the closer you get that ball to the touchdown, guess what happens? The pressure gets harder. You see, God knows that you and I need that pressure. And Satan also knows that, guess what? They're getting closer to something great. That marriage is getting a little bit too strong. Man, that relationship between uh, uh, mom and their daughter, that is just getting too good. That's just getting really close. Oh, guess what? what, man, they're really getting some momentum at that church. I got to do it right now. I got to stop it right now. They had 4,500 on Easter. Guess what? We got to get them out of their building. We got to shock them. We got to turn things around. And that's what Satan wants to do. But you and I have to understand, guess what? It's not that we're starting all over. It's that we are so close and we've got to say, I'm still practicing. This pressure is practice for something bigger. I can't stop now. I've got to keep going. That's what we have to understand. But too often, we quit as soon as it gets harder because we're surprised by it. When we need to step back and say, you know what? The pressure is good. The pressure is my practice. The pressure helps me. You see, if you don't learn to handle the pressure, then you are not ready for promotion. And I wish it was another way. If you do not learn to handle the pressure, you're not ready for promotion. Let me say it like this. If you can't steward this day and age of being single, you can't steward it well. You're not ready for a relationship. If you can't steward the little McDonald's job right now and steward it and show up on time and work hard and tithe off your paycheck and serve God and bring God glory at that little fast food chain, guess what? You're not ready to be a manager and have your own store. You're not ready for it. But yet you and I, we feel like I deserve the promotion. Deserve what? You haven't earned it. You haven't done anything. But yet that's our day and age. It's called entitlement. And it's crept into the church. We just kind of feel like, well, God owes me a blessing. Does he really? Does he really owe you anything? No. That's called pride. 
That's what that is. And God says, I resist the pride. I resist the proud. I want nothing to do with that. But here David, he comes in with humility and he says, guess what? God is going to give me the strength to be able to do it. Why? Because I've been practicing. When a bear or a lion would come, I wouldn't run like the other shepherds. I wouldn't run like a hireling. No, no, I would run to the danger, not from the danger. You see, we need a church that says we run to the dangerous things. We take bold steps of faith. We take big risks for God. We will bet the farm. We will do whatever it takes to reach those who are far from God, that we will go out of our way so that we can proclaim Jesus to our community. That's what the church of the living God is supposed to be all about. But yet we're surprised by pressure. We're surprised when we hear things happening. We're surprised by, oh, the rumblings. We're surprised by these things. Don't you know, Satan always going to try harder when he knows that you're about to happen and you're about to hit that breakthrough. Of course he's going to try harder to stop you. So you and I, we have to say, you know what? If I'm not ready to handle this pressure, then I'm not ready for any promotion. And let's just have that honest conversation with ourselves. And just step back and say, you know what? How am I stewarding this season? Am I doing a good job with it? The Apostle Paul said this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was a great man of God. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He said this, I know how to abound. He says, I know how to live the high life. I know how to enjoy things when things are good. I know how to enjoy it when I've got a new car with the leather seats and the moonroof and it's paid off in cash and I've got the new house and I got the promotion with the job and I'm in a C-suite. He said, I know how to abound. But he said, I also know how to be abased. I also know how to be low. And I know how to handle both in stride. I know how to have the right spirit in both seasons. I know how to not let it go to my head if I'm in the C-suite. And I know how to not let it go to my heart in depression when I'm down in the pit. He said, I know how to abound. I know how to handle these things. You see, we as Christians, we only want to steward the good times. But God said, learn to steward the bad. Learn to steward this season. Learn to steward the negativity. Learn to deal with these things. For so long, David was put down, was put down, was put down, was put down. As a matter of fact, when it came time for Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel, his own dad didn't want to invite him to the party. He brought all his other brothers, but then when David, then Samuel says, is there any other kids? They're like, oh yeah, where's David? He was forgotten about, out of sight, out of mind. And you may feel like that, like, God, you're remembering everybody else, but you're skipping over me. And so we need to say how we can steward the season. You see, if we don't learn to handle it, we won't steward it like we want to. I love one verse, how it says, and it's so well. Hidden David wrote it. He said, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me. But here's what I want you to see in verse number 33. There's Saul. Saul steps up to David, and Saul tells David, you're not able to. Can I just take a sidebar and say, watch who you hang around? Because there are people in your life that will tell you what you can't do. And when you get around people like that, that they're like, no, you can't do that, and you can't do that, and you can't do that, find a new circle. Find a new circle. Say, you know what, I don't know if you're the circle I need to be around right now. I'm not trying to find a bunch of yes people, a bunch of people that fill my ears with fluff, but I need to be around some people that say, you know what, it's going to be a stretch, it's going to be hard, but I've seen you faithful with little, so guess what, go for bigger, ask God for bigger, ask God to say, hey Lord, I want to attempt great things for you, so that you will get more glory, so that you will get more honor, God, I want to try this for you, God, will you allow me the freedom to do this, many times I'll talk to people and they say, well, I don't feel called, I don't feel called, can I tell you something right now, I never have ever sensed a calling, a calling to plant a church. Never sensed it. 
But I'll tell you this. A great evangelist of days gone by, John Rice, said this. Wrote several books, traveled, spoke around the country. He said, I never felt called to evangelism. But he said, I volunteered and God took me. God takes volunteers. And sometimes we're like, well, I'm waiting for a call. I'm waiting for a message. I'm waiting for this. And God's like, you can volunteer. I take volunteers. I'll take somebody that just says, hey, here, my Lord, send me. That was Isaiah chapter 6. He said, I surrender. I'll just, I'll just volunteer. You see, some of you are waiting to be voluntold, and why don't you just step up to the plate and say, God, here am I. Use me. God, I don't see anybody else doing it instead of me suggesting, how about I step up? God, I may not be the best, but God, I can do something. God, I can help out wherever you want me. But then there's this Saul guy who's trying to tell David, guess what? You can't. So surround yourself with the right circle. Lastly, you say, what do I do with this pressure? Man, this pressure is building. I want you to handle pressure like Jesus handled pressure. Jesus' final moments, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, which Gethsemane is the place of crushing. It's where they would crush olives and they'd get the olive oil. And quite literally, Jesus is saying as a picture that he was being crushed as his body would sweat grapes, drops of blood. That's the picture. What did Jesus do at those moments? He told his three innermost circle, Peter, James, and John, hey, let's leave the other disciples here and come with me and let's watch and let's pray. How did Jesus handle the pressure? He prayed. I know some of us, we want something else bigger than that, don't we? We want, we want something else like that that's a quick fix, right? A little pill we can take that makes us feel a little bit better. Hey, little magic words that we uh, uh, kind of say and it makes us feel better. But Jesus said, no, 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 I pray. And then he comes back to his disciples and they're sleeping. He's like, okay. All right, could you not just wake up and pray for an hour? And Jesus goes back to praying because the pressure is intense. It's so intense, he's sweating drops of blood. But he just kept on praying through the pressure. He kept connecting with his God. Because when we are intimate with God, we are not intimidated by man. And until you and I get that intimate relationship with God, we will always be afraid of man. They will intimidate us out of the calling and the dream that God has for us. Until we say, God, there's only one way I can press into this, and that's through prayer. And I hope the pressure that you're under is driving you to your knees in prayer to God. I hope that pressure is pointing you to say, hey, guess what? You can't rely on anything else. Peter thought he would fix the pressure, didn't he? That same chapter, Matthew 26. He takes, off a, takes out a sword, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus says, hey, put up your sword. Those that live by the sword will die by the sword. You remember that? What did Jesus say right after that? He said, Peter, don't you know, I could call a legion, I could call 10,000 angels that would take care of that. I finally understood this week what Jesus was saying. Because when you're under intense pressure, you just want to escape. You just want out. What was Jesus saying? Peter, if I wanted out of this situation, I could be out like that. I don't need to mess around with this. Why would he call 10,000 angels? Wipe everybody out. You know what one angel did? One angel. One angel took out a host of the Midianites. Took out an entire army. One angel. And he's saying, I got legions that I could call right now. I could deal with this, Peter. I don't need your sword. I could, deal. I could escape from this in a moment. But instead, Jesus was teaching a lesson to you and to me that says, guess what? We're going to stay under pressure. And you say, why do I stay under the pressure? And it's this last thought that I want to leave with you. It is the pressure that helps you get better and bigger. It's the pressure. We've been saying it for the last 
five weeks, the pressure is your partner. You need it. I know we don't like it. I know we don't like it as a church, it's a ministry. That God it seems like he's putting us this pressure. And God's saying, hey, I know, you can handle it. I was thinking about a spring, something that was spring-loaded. You got you to push the spring down before it can launch out. And I just, I had that image this week that God just says, hey, let me, let me put this pressure on you. But yet it's that pressure that helps us. You see, the reward for handling pressure is you get more pressure. You got one kid, you're like, man, that was fun. And you have two. You didn't just double the trouble. It's way more than double. It's amazing. You feel like, that's two parents, two kids, not a problem. Oh, no. You quickly feel outnumbered. You feel like a drowning man and then somebody just handed you a baby. That's what you feel like. And all of a sudden, even in marriage, you could feel, man, I'm overwhelmed. At your job, you start a new job, you think it's going to be great. And then the honeymoon phase wears off and you're like, what did I get into? Anything in life is like that. So when are we going to step up and say, you know what, God? I believe you are going to use this pressure. I want to get to the point where I can say I'm better under pressure. I'm better under the pressure. God uses it. And maybe you're saying, yeah, but Pastor, you don't understand. I've been under this pressure for so long. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I'm about to quit. I'm about to walk away. I'm about to give up. One last story out of the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah wanted to have a child. They wanted to have a child so bad that they used Sarah's handmaid to have a child. The child's name was Ishmael. Ishmael's mother, Hagar, couldn't deal with the pressure of being in the family situation, so she grabs her boy, Ishmael, and she flees into the desert. And in the desert, God tells her, go back to Sarah because your seed, Ishmael, I'm going to build a great nation. There are two great nations that came out of the line of uh, Abraham, you've got Isaac, which is Israel, and then you've got Ishmael. But then years later, Sarah casts out Hagar. And Hagar is in the desert, in the wilderness, with her son, Ishmael. And as you read the story, you hear that they run out of food, they run out of water, but they're in the desert. And because of the love of a mother, she couldn't stand to see her son suffer and die. So she sets her son down, and she wants to get out of earshot and eyesight because she doesn't want to see her son die. So she took that thing that, that was going to be her son, the future, the promise. She sets it down because she doesn't want to watch it die. Some of you have a dream and a goal that you've set down because you don't think it's ever going to live. And right now you're walking away from it because you don't want to watch it die. It hurts too much. You started that business. You started that marriage. You started that job. You started that career. You had that child. You had that dream. You had that desire. Man, when you first started, there was nothing in the world that could stop you. Now you're at a point, you set the baby down and you're walking away. You don't want to see it die. And you've given up. And I'm here to say that's okay. You say, why? As you recount the passage in Genesis, you'll see that the Bible says that the angel of the Lord heard the cry of the child. The angel of the Lord heard the cry of the child, not of Hagar, not of Hagar. Didn't hear her cry, heard her dream 
cry. Her vision, her hopes, her future, her boy, everything that she was promised by God years before that out of him would become a great nation. She said, there's no way. We're in a desert. He's about to die. And I don't want to watch him die because I can't watch my boy die. And I feel so hopeless. The greatest fear of any parent in this room is that anything happened to your children. You'll take anything. You will go through anything. The moment you have children, you will bleed for your kids. You will die. You will lay down your life so fast for your kids. But she, she couldn't watch him die. But the Bible says that God heard the dream crying. And then the Bible says that God spoke to Hagar and said, Hagar, I have heard the cry of your son. Go to him. I've prepared a well. Out of the middle of the desert, God provides a well. This morning, you are there at the point where you're like, I'm going to let the dream die. I'm giving up. Giving up on the marriage. I don't know what it is. But we all have those things that we once believed in. They were like, I'm done. It's too hard. The pressure is too great. So we've set it down. And I'm here to say this morning, pick it back up. Pick it back up. It's not dead. God wants you to pick it back up this morning. There's things that we have dropped and we just thought, it's over. And I'm here to say, we need to be a church that says, you know, when the pressure comes and it's so intense, you just guess what? I'm better under pressure. You bring that pressure because then God's strength is in me. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And it's at those moments where you're like, man, I don't know where the grace and the power and the strength is coming from. But guess what? I'm not about to quit now. I'm too close now. Hey, friend, you're too close now. Don't quit now. You've come so far. Last week, a church member came up to me and said, you didn't come this far to only get this far. You didn't come this far to get this. Say it. You didn't come this far just to get this far. You see, God is doing something in your life this morning. And I know I wanted to give you like a rah-rah message, but it's tense. It's hard because you're under the pressure, and I get it. If we were to just go around the room and talk about the pressure and the pain that each one of us feel, it would just crush us, just sap the life out of us. we got people in this room, man, you are going through such intense pressure. you got your baby in the hospital. you got some deep bills. You don't know if you'll ever see the light of day. Debt collectors are constantly calling you, turning off your phone. You just don't want to deal with it. The mailbox is just full of debt and collections. You're like, I'm not checking the mail anymore. I rebuke that mailbox. Not today, Satan. Mailbox. Man in blue, get out of here. I'm going to get a dog just so it can chase you out. I mean, you're just done with it. And I want you to know that when you come to church, that guess what? God is saying, hey, let's pick this thing back up. It's not here to die. Because God does hear it. But even better than that, I read Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 this week. He said, what did Habakkuk 2, 3 say? It says this, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for surely it will take place. It will not be delayed. Though it tarries, it will come to pass. See, God is saying, hey, that dream, it ain't over. I know you've waited a long time, but God's like, don't give up now. Don't give up now. You can't quit now. We're too close now. It's getting good now. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us 
by visiting southridgesanjose.com slash connect. Again, that's southridgesanjose.com slash connect.